And we're yeah. off. We're off. We're back. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty well. Are you? I am. I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm 41, which uh. is a, you know, as Father Sean says, 40 fun. And that's just an interesting time in life. It's, uh, it's midlife, I think. Yeah. Right. Which means I'm, you know, presumably going to live into my 80s. Right. Or close to it, at least. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Life is good. Uh, you know, was in court. That's right. Uh, what was that two days ago? Monday. Yeah. Yeah. So when this comes out, it will be a week. We're a week behind. Yeah. So I was, yeah, uh, I was in court for about, uh, uh, 27 hours. Yeah. Roughly, roughly about, a, you know, yeah, all day. We were there, I think nine hours. It, mm. was, it was a full day. No you question know, about it. Yeah. Pray for FB, uh, Rosemary, our principal president of the schools and, uh, their fortitude and that whole thing. And, uh, the city mass mandates, all that. Are we it's a wild time? I don't leaving know. Leaving people how, on a cliffhanger. Here? Sort of. You mentioned courts. I was, yeah, I didn't know how far we go into that, but I think just yeah. prayers for, for those guys. It's a lot. Um, it's from last year. It's nothing yeah. recent. It's from last year and it's, it has to do with masks in the schools and, we're just glad, I think, by the time this comes out, it should be over with, and we're very happy about that because it's just been an ongoing... Um, Attack. Battle. Well, yeah, just a, just an ongoing ordeal. And yeah. so we waited forever for it to, get, to actually go to, to the court, and it took... Uh, it's been pushed back like six different times. So grateful for that. Either way, we, you know, we'll be fine. There's nothing... It's not a huge deal, but it was... More than anything, it was just like, man, I actually kind of felt bad for judges. <laughs> yeah. Because we sat, and what, what they tell you, so we had our trial for our case, and this is actually kind of funny, but we were we, they told us you have to be there by 8, so we got there at 7.30, and we sat in the back of the court, and there's like 80 people in court that day, Oh, and they call the different cases yep. and they, they didn't, they don't tell you what time yours is going to be at. I thought ours, because it was further along, that it would be really right at the start, but they just, they would go through person after person after person. And I just thought, oh man, these judges, they probably do this like every day. Totally. Where they, you know, just reschedule things and motion hearings and plea agreements and uh, all kinds of things. So anyway. My only challenge to that is, uh, were you actually there at 730? If you know Father Brian, that if he'd be there at eight, you're probably there at 815. Yeah. No, Although that's I was true. late today. It depends on what it is. <laughs> it depends on what it is. If it's something like like it, like mass. You have a judge. Like mass. Yeah. Mass starts at 8. I don't get there at 8.15. I get there at 7.58. That's right. That's, that's right. And freak that's out the fair. sacristans. But the ones who are around long enough, they know that I'm always going to come. That's right. They just know I'm going to come at two <laughs> minutes prior to the start of mass. So not a great habit, but it's it's how I roll. At least you, sh- at least you get there. Um I can finally be a Notre Dame football fan. Why is that? Uh, Brian Kelly has left the program. He went to LSU. Um, Who's Brian Kelly? That was the head coach. Okay. I really, um, he's been around for a very long time and he's been at Notre Dame now, gosh, at least 10 years, I think 10 years, something like that. But he's just been one of those coaches that, um, you know, I I was uh, caught off guard to find out when I became, or I was confirmed Catholic that Notre Dame 
you know, people debate how Catholic Notre Dame is. I was yeah. just like, oh, it's a Catholic school. That's rad. I can't wait to root for him. <laughs> but I still struggled right. because Brian Kelly was there. Now I can actually support them. Is he no even the head coach at LSU? Yeah, he got hired. So check this out. Curtis Martin, shout out. Curtis went to LSU. Oh, he did? Yeah. Well, LSU just paid Brian Kelly, who has not really done much in Notre Dame. They, they're always good, but never won. I think it's a 10-year, $100 million contract with crazy bonuses. That's, I mean, that's a little more than I got when I signed at Lord's. I just need him to tie 10% to Lord's. Can you imagine 10% <laughs> if, yeah. Of that contract? Uh, so that's, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much my life other than uh, I think Gianna's starting to teethe. Yep. So for any of the parents out there, they can relate uh, way more than I can yet. But it means a lot of slobber. It means waking up consistently throughout the night now to, uh, luckily Steph is a saint and handles that. But uh, yeah, it's just every day, a new, something new. It's awesome. Something new. Well, we hope you're all doing great out there. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. Uh, we have come on, uh, it's been a year. That's right. That we've been going now. So we're grateful for all the people out there. Hope you can continue to spread the word. Um, today we want to, I just finished a book. It feels so good when you finish a book. Uh, I know you feel that way too. That's right, audio book. So my, I just finished a nearly 600 page book. You know, okay, I actually feel validated. I, I don't, I have to say this. Okay. Because I always feel like I'm pretty adamant about the fact, because of the fact I've gotten to the point in life where, where I'd reached a point where so many people just give me books yeah, as people gifts do it or whatever, too. and I, I just don't enjoy it. So, like, I've had to start owning the fact that I don't like books. I love audiobooks, and yep. I feel like I comprehend better. Um, but I was watching an interview that Kobe Bryant gave. Yeah, right before he had passed. That's still so strange. It's so yeah, it's so sad watching him. Um, but he had retired, and he started writing children's books. Okay. And the whole, con like someone was like, you know, how did you go from basketball to kind of be in this writer? And were you a big reader? All that kind of stuff. And he said, it was very interesting. Um, and what I can relate to was that I never grew up. I've never liked fiction, fiction books. And in high school, like all the stuff we would read was a lot of fiction, um, the books that there are certain topics, autobiographies of people I respect or look up to, I'll devour. Like that, there's a sure. certain niche, and that hence my audiobooks still are very much that way. But he put it in a way that was like, okay, I'm not dumb that I can't read. It's I just don't enjoy it. I've never found mm -hmm. a topic. Um, you know, I don't get inspired to read an 800 page book on an analysis of Paul, analysis of Paul, but who could you possibly be talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just had to say, because I'm like, you know, I always joke openly about my lack of interest in reading, yep. but it really is just a, um, lack of like a genre, I guess that I sure. just don't really get inspired of, of reading. It was very interesting. So anyways, please. Carry on with your book. That was a very, analysis. that was an interesting aside. I, yeah, it was on my mind recently of just like, you know, I, I've got to, I feel like I need to explain my, why I don't like reading. Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to love reading to be a Christian, obviously. Um, I think I also don't like quiet time, even like prayer. 
Like that I think is more important. Yeah. Like it, that, well, yeah, prayer definitely is. But I think I just struggle with that. Like to just sit down and quiet and read is also just like, I don't, I struggle with silence. I'm working on that. Yeah. Yeah. Most people do. There's a, uh, I mean, we, we all know these things, right? That as society has gotten noisier, we've conditioned ourselves to that. Right. Yeah. And like so many other things in life, you can condition your tastes and your kind of habits around things. Yep. And I just think, you know, it's, it's going to get harder and harder for people to embrace silence. That's right. Because our society is just, you know, so loud. Hence why I like when I do quote unquote read, it's an audiobook in a car while driving in traffic, right. like so many distractions and hence I'll thrive in that moment of just like comprehending that. But to sit down in a quiet spot and just read yeah. like, Oh, this isn't fast enough. Yeah. No, that's fair. I think, I think it's a good c- habit for people to cultivate in some ways, but it's at least the silent part, you know, that's right. and learning, but it, it, it takes discipline and it's hard. It's yeah. just, I mean, just, you know, a lot about discipline. It's no one loves discipline. There's a line in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12. that says, at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, mm. but in time it yields the uh, fruit of righteousness by those who have been trained by it. That's a that's not exactly right, but it's close. I bet it was pretty spot on. It's pretty close. I bet it was pretty Hebrews spot. twelve, but yeah, I bet it's true. I mean, whenever you're going through a discipline, I, f- right. I feel like I'm not disciplined right now in my life, and I need more discipline. But um, whenever you go through a discipline, it's always painful. But then once you kind of make it through the first really hard part of it, it it brings something really good to your life. Totally. Right. As you were saying, I literally just watched a, a YouTube video. I, I told you about it today, but, uh, by a guy that studied to be a monk, Indian monk named Jay Shetty, um, really spreads a good message. Um, obviously very secular kind of message, Sure. but he had said when it comes to disciplines, the purpose has to be big enough, but the task need to be small, right? So your P- big purpose, small task. That's right. Okay. Cause like in order that, to yeah, achieve your purpose has to be so great, but you can't dive into it, which is typically the case of, Oh, I want to get into, you know, I want to be fit. Well, I'm going to go yep. just eat lettuce and then work out for three hours a day. After two weeks, you're almost worse off than when you started. Cause yeah. you give up and you're overwhelmed. So it is those like, mundane small tasks that will eventually reward and righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to have to be small. That's right. What should we talk about grace? Ooh, let's do it. So you finished your book on Paul. Yep. So this is a, um, a book that's made a lot of, uh, kind of waves. It came out, I think in 2015, I want to say, but it, uh, it really made a, a big impact in kind of the scripture scholarship world, which everyone loves. That's right. You know, everyone's out there like, man, what's going, what is going on in this New York times bestseller right now? Right. You know, what's going on with that? <laughs> Everybody's dying to know, but it, it did make a big impact. And this is a guy, he's a Protestant scholar. His name is John Barclay. And, uh, we have it sitting here on the desk. There it is. I feel like it's wild. It kind of blows my mind that in 2015, there's something that can be written that makes waves like yep what can be said that has not been said after 2000 years that is yeah. like mic drop boom like 
Oh, I didn't think of it that way. It does make it hard, guys. So people who have doctorates, yeah. And when you get a doctorate, you're expected to contribute something new, in in whatever area you're writing on. And so, yeah, you know, you're writing in scripture. You know, if if you write about the New Testament, especially, I mean, every pa- passage in the New Testament has been written about extensively, analyzed, yeah, over the past two thousand years. And so, it does. It it is. You know, it's not easy to kind of make new discoveries or advancements. Totally. But, but anyway, so this guy, John Barclay, what he did is he basically it's it's a really fascinating concept. Is he gave a tool in this book that allowed for precision. It's called Paul and the Gift. And what it's about is that, you know, there's a lot of debate, not just between Catholics and Protestants, but between Christians of different stripes and just different thinkers about what, uh, just about how grace works. And what Barclay did, and it's really helpful, is he basically said there's, everyone uses the same word, but they assume different things about it. That's really funny. I, my question, I was just writing down right now for a note to find the opportunity On your to cat say it. Notepad. Yeah, you have the most bizarre. Paper. I did not. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where the paper in this <laughs> place comes your from. Desk, it wasn't man. me. Guilty by association. I don't like cats. I'm not a cat person. <laughs> and now I'm guilty because I have to write on this thing. Um, I feel like um, grace is one of those like Christian keywords. Yep. That everyone is just like. Oh yeah, totally. I totally understand. But genuinely, like when you say grace, what does that mean? Yeah, that's, that's right. So usually when people, um, the most common thing people will say, you say, Hey, what, what does it mean? What does that word mean? What is grace? And probably the most common answer you get from most people is they just say it's a free gift, which is a really bad definition. Okay. <laughs> because it doesn't tell you what that gift is. Right. Or right? what is free. Like, is it actually free? Yeah, no, and that's exact. That's part of what we're going to get into. Yes. It's what does it mean that it's free? And uh, and so the, um, uh, so with, with a gift and with grace, really what it is, when you have, um, when you have a, a gift of grace as a Christian, what it really means is the life of God. And there's distinctions we can make so, so St. Thomas would make distinctions between like created grace, which means some kind of spiritual blessing inside of you and uncreated grace, which what that means is God. The only thing that's not created is God himself. Everything else is created. So uncreated grace would be the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Okay. Uh, but that's not really what this book's about. What this book gets into when it talks about grace and it's talking specifically about Paul's usage of grace. Uh, what it gets into though is when Paul uses that word and it's in Greek, the term for grace, charis, uh, it can mean favor, uh, grace. It can mean a gift. Um, but really that's the title of the book is Paul and the gift. And what Paul really means, what he gets into, at least in Galatians and Romans is that Paul is really when he talks about the gift, he really means the gift of the son's death and resurrection okay and the effects that kind of flow from that so but here's what's really cool about this book is that people use that in different ways and so uh what happens is that uh this guy barclay he identifies six uh, aspects of grace 
kind of things that are contained in the definition. And he talks about how no one ever defines the term. And they'll say, well, you know, if grace isn't like this, then it can't be grace. And so I think it'll help if we just walk through these. So what Barclay does is he says different thinkers throughout time. So Paul is the one he's going to end up wanting to go back to because that's in the scriptures and divine revelation. But he talks about Augustine. He talks about Marcion, uh, who is a heretic in the time of Augustine. Okay. He talks uh, about Martin Luther and John Calvin. He talks about some modern authors, uh, authors like uh, a guy named uh, Martin. Uh, I forget his first name. Uh, but then uh, James Dunn, who is a really important scripture scholar, and then E.P. Sanders, different different modern kind of treatments of this. But here they are. So, uh, so one of the perfections is superabundance, right? So uh, the first, he says, the first possible perfection of grace concerns the size, significance, or permanence of the gift. Uh, aspects which we may group under the heading superabundance, right? So, so a, so what. Barclay says here is that different thinkers in history, they say, well, it's God. So if he's giving this gift, this free gift, they, they're going to perfect this idea, which means they're going to push it to its extreme. So if superabundance, you mean this gift is so big, you can't, you can't put a limit on it. It's infinite. It goes to the very end. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. That's one singularity. Uh, singularity means, uh, the notion that the giver's sole and exclusive mode of operation is benevolence or goodness, right? So that's, that's why they're doing this, just benevolence. They don't get anything out of it. Singularity is just, I, they're just doing it out of their goodness, their own, their own goodness and benevolence. Who is they when you say their goodness? It would be God God's, in this case. Okay, yeah. got it. Yep, so okay. no other, so singularity means that. Okay. Priority means is about timing. So priority means that grace is given before anything can be given in return. Okay. So one of my friends, and we're going to get to, and I know this might be heavy. Hang with me. We're going to talk about how this is so important in your life and why this even matters. If this is heavy, I am swimming right nice. <laughs> in the deep end. Nice. Yes. So I'm excited to really break this down. Yeah. So, uh, so priority means that God gives it first. Incongruity is the big one he's going to focus on. Incongruity means, so, um, incongruity means that the gift is given not according to the worthiness of the recipient. Okay. So if, um, if I go over to the school and I give out, uh, brownies. Yep. I know we're in Colorado, not those kind was, of brownies, not those kinds of brownies. I, swear, I wanted to make that joke, but yeah. Okay. But I headed it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could yep, see your wheels turning page. inside That's right. your mind. <laughs> but if I want to give a, give a brownie, if I only have one brownie, let's say, and I'm going to go to the class, uh, incongruity means I'm not giving it to someone because they're the best student or they're the nicest or any, anything about them. It's just, it's like a blind gift. And so that's what incongruity means. Okay. Okay. So no, like no real justification behind the gifted, who, who you're giving it to. Right. Exactly. Okay. And by the way, in the ancient world, that's, he makes a big point of this and he really shows it in the ancient world. That's unthinkable. 
in the ancient world, it's actually disrupts the nature of the universe. If, uh, and we all, th- we still kind of think this way sometimes in the West, we, we think of no strings attached gifts. Actually, that's a different perfection. I shouldn't go there, but, but incongruity, um, what, what would throw the world off about that is if you're in that classroom and I hand out a brownie and I blindfolded myself and I just gave it to whoever, irrespective of any condition. Yep. If you're like the, if it goes to the bad kid and you're in that class, you're ticked. That's right. You're like, wait it's a second. I'm, I'm a good student. I have good behavior. I've got straight A's, whatever yeah. it is. And in the ancient world, that would be seen as uh, actually almost bordering on immoral. Got it. Because back, um, back then they were, they're performing rituals, not assuming, um, just one singular God, but multiple gods, you're doing all sorts of acts, rain dance, all these kind of things to please the gods. So then it'd be based on merit for any reward you get. And even, and they would even say, so Barclay goes into any gift, even if, so you take it outside the realm of God. Okay. Let's just say like you're a wealthy Roman senator yep. or landowner, whatever you are, if you're going to make a gift, they would say like, like let's say you're, you're a benefactor for a city mm-hmm. and you're like, well, I'm going to build a new amphitheater for Thessaloniki or Corinth or whatever, whatever town you decide on. Yep. Uh, in the ancient world, it would be, it would be considered almost immoral or wrong for you to say, well, I'm just going to kind of, I'm not giving based on anything that anybody's done. Yeah. I'm just giving. Well, you it might be like, like, if you're in, right if you're in Thessaloniki, uh, I think that's how you say it. <laughs> or is it just Thessalonica? Well, it's, it's, it's in the letter to the Thessalonians. <laughs> I know I'm trying to be like cool here. The Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. That's the city. Got it. Thessalonica or Thessaloniki. I forget how it's pronounced, but you might say, let's say if you just, Patrick decides, you know what? No, I'm going to give it to Corinth. Well, Corinth is a really bad place. Corinth is a little bit like, it's a little bit of a Las Vegas of the ancient world. Got it. And okay. you might say, that's not fair. Those, those guys stink. They're terrible. Yeah. Why would you do that? So that's, that's incongruity. Incongruity okay. just means that there's no. Got it. Okay. So incongruity is one. Efficacy is the next one. Efficacy means that God's gift of grace in us accomplishes what it's meant for. So it's effective would just be a better way to say that an easier way to say that. Right. So God pours his grace into me. It changes me not because I chose it, but just because the gift does it. Got it. Right. So the gift of grace changes me. Um, and then the last one is non-circularity and here's what that means. So, uh, Tim Gray sometimes says this, he has a funny line where he talks about a casserole debt where he's like, it must be a generational thing, but where he says, you know, if you're on your street and somebody brings a casserole over to you, you know, you're, you're grateful, but you're also like, Oh no, totally. Now I've got a casserole debt. Now that means I have to make them a casserole. Yep. Yep. Right. That <laughs> I was like my neighbor with my bike accident. I like, yep. Obviously could not. And Steph's nine months pregnant. <laughs> I still can't believe that happened, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, I couldn't mow the lawn. And so my neighbor, in addition to Mary Rogers and Greg Rogers, I was gonna say, uh, didn't they did it. Mow your lawn. They did. Yeah. But my neighbor consistently once a week would come over and mow the lawn. That's great. It was awesome. I was so obviously, you know, otherwise we'd have a whole, you know, rainforest back there. But uh, 
I that went through my mind a little bit. Yeah. Of like, oh, it's such a nice gesture, but now I feel a pressure to surprise him and, and go mow his lawn. But yep. he did it where it's like perfect diagonal line. It had like a cool design in my grass and step like mickey I, mouse's face was yeah, in your backyard totally, or something. Yeah. step was kind of like bummed when it was back to me mowing she's like you got to learn how to do the cool lines that he did but it it is like this reciprocity of like it was mm-hmm. so kind of him to do i never even asked he just came over and did it and was picking up sluggers you know number twos in the backyard and all this stuff i just couldn't bend over but then i did have this pressure of like I need to, do, we had, we have to do something nice for him. Right. Like I'm so grateful, but how do I show my appreciation? Yeah. Amen. So the, this book talks a lot about that actually. Cause, um, so in the modern world, we think that's bad. Like, or at least we would say if, if you have a choice between a gift that kind of puts that obligation on you where you yeah. feel like, man, I owe this guy something. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go carve a better image. That's right. One up him yeah, and his totally. thoughtful gift. Yeah. In the modern world, if, if you, we tend to think that a better gift is one with no strings attached, right? Yep. And there's this, that's this idea of altruism. And honestly, that idea develops out of the Reformation. And we might get to that today about how the reformers, they, they thought about this in a way, honestly, that Paul didn't, at least if you follow Barclay at his word. But, um, in the ancient world, that when when that puts that pressure on you to reciprocate, yep. the ancient world doesn't see that as a bad thing. The ancient world sees that as a good thing, because what it does is it creates bonds of friendship and just societal strengthening. Interesting. Yeah, and gifts are supposed to do that, even if they're not um, proportionate. You know, so that guy makes you know he's out there and is like, I'm picturing some guy in a line, riding lawnmower and. Yeah. You know, your face is popping out of the grass. That's right. And maybe you can't do anything like that, but you could, uh, you could send him a couple of chocolates. I don't right. know. Even if it's disproportionate, the ancient world saw gift giving as a, and the reciprocity behind it is a really good thing. It's really only when you get to Luther that you start to develop this idea that gifts should be devoid of any strings and they shouldn't, impel the other person to reciprocate in any way very interestingly this would be a great dog name yes i, I, I haven't thought of a good dog name in a while Thessalokia so, or whatever you call Thessaloniki. <laughs> yeah. um no there's a uh there's a modern philosopher named jacques derrida okay derrida that'd be a great dog name very interesting we got to get you a dog i do need to get a dog someday the companions will flip but Derrida believed, and he was, he's, uh, he's not a good guy. Derrida is a, um, kind of a, I think he's characterized as a deconstructionalist, but he's, he's very postmodern. Boys with Nietzsche. He's later on. Okay. He's, he's more with it. There's another uh, philosopher named, um, Michael Foucault. Uh, and he's more, you know, anyway, Derrida though, believed that a real gift is impossible because he assumes that for something to actually be a gift, there can't be any strings attached. And he says, that's impossible. He says, because whenever someone gives a gift, they always want something in return, even if it is just, they're going to feel better about themselves because they gave a gift to somebody. Totally. And so Derrida, he's, he's kind of, he can be a dark figure at times, but Derrida 
believe that there's no such thing as a, a pure gift because of that. Why is that so hard? Um, is that because of the fall? I mean, genuinely so hard to receive that. Like I'm thinking right now, so that in the companions, you guys do it. And sure. I've experienced it with, uh, on someone's birthday, you guys do an honoring, right? So you go around the table, everyone says something. Um, yeah, we honor whoever's birthday. It that's is right. And, mm-hmm. I, when I'm thinking about like, that's a genuine gift, right? But it's often yep. like when it's on my birthday, when that happened, I want to say something back to uh-huh. that person. You have to sit there in silence, Yep. you know? So it's, it's really, I kind of understand what he's saying with, it is hard to just genuinely accept something. It is. It is gen- hard. And, and Derry Da, he's not important for our discussion today, but he's, he's very negative about the world. He's, he's very negative about the prospect of finding meaning in this world. And this is part of it is his treatment of, Got it. Gifts. Yeah. Um, the church really, I think Gary Anderson has some interesting things on this, but the church, I think if we think deeply about this, why should it be that we should not receive something? Even if it's, if we give someone and we feel better about ourselves or having given it, that's not necessarily a negative thing. The, the, the way Gary Anderson talks about this in his book, charity is that that's part of the way that God made the world good. Right. Instead of like when I do something nice for somebody, well, now I'm going to be miserable. You know? Totally. Yeah. And now my life's going to be awful because I did this and somehow that's better. It's a very modern idea. And the, the ancient world, there's, there's a greater sense of if I give a gift and the, and I find joy in giving a gift, that's a, that's a really good thing. That's part of what makes the world a good place is that God has built that into the structures of the world. And don't, um, <laughs> not to divulge too much in myself, but, uh, so I go to a therapist and I'm, I I love therapy, all that kind of stuff. But he was talking to me about, um, Jesus is the only true figure that's ever walked this earth and correct me theologically if this is wrong. But what he was saying is he's, Jesus was the only person that's ever walked this earth that could truly, he was so full and complete in himself because of God he was the only one that could truly be of service to everybody. All the disciples were relatively a mess, mm-hmm. right? And it was never about him necessarily that God gave us this gift of true love and created you. Mm-hmm. But yet because we're fallen as humans, we still have this feeling of lack of, of not being enough or how do I become, mm-hmm. what do I need to make me a complete person? but that Jesus was able to actually focus everything he did on whoever was in front of him. It was never really about him. Sure. Does that kind of make sense? I I do. It does make sense. I I mean, I I would agree and disagree even given this book because I think that's that way of looking at things is very colored by the modern world's idea of to be a good person means you never have you don't receive anything. It's always about somebody else. And if you think of Trinitarian theology, and really, Which I mean, I do all the, all the time. time. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I know you're <laughs> you're at your desk. You're looking at our Patrick's been looking at data systems, our database. And you're like, man, I wonder if the perichoretic processions. That's right. God are. That's right. Just that, like that's just amazing. Mind blown. 
Yeah, no, the, uh, but if you think about it, Jesus origin actually loves to talk about this. Jesus made himself actually radically dependent. And what I mean by that, and not just in, in his humanity, but as the son of God, Jesus is his, his giving of himself away where he is other focused, which is true. Uh, he also is, it's, it's weird to say this about God, but there's almost like a Trinitarian poverty. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that Jesus's whole life, uh, and I don't mean earthly life. I just mean the principle of life within him, the, the fullness of life that he kind of enjoys in the Trinity is a, is not static. It's not something that's just stable. It's dynamic. And so God, the father is always pouring life into the son. He's the father empties himself into the son. And so the son is always receiving from the father, but he's always pouring himself out as well. Okay. And so my point is like, we could have this idea of like Jesus walked the earth and he was perfect in every way, straight teeth. And yep. You know, he'd like shake his head and like have that beautiful man hair. I mean, no offense. Every time I've seen him on a crucifix, he is jacked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's one I could show you where he's not. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, but there's this sense of like Jesus doesn't need anybody or anything. And I actually think that's a false view of what the New Testament teaches us about Christ is that there's a, there's a, um, almost a paradox. Jesus is infinite and he, he is God himself but part of the definition of what it means to be God is that because God's a Trinity, Jesus makes himself dependent on the father and the spirit. Okay. So yeah. Cause I think what, um, we got really off topic. I there. know we did, but I think it's, imp- I think it's, well, we'll just, Relevant. we'll just ride this on this one. What he was trying to say and what, um, I was struggling with was because of my dynamics with my parents and, primarily the divorce and not my dad, obviously still around, blah, blah, blah. But, um, it's hard for me to look at him as like a true father. What I envision as a fatherly figure. Uh-huh. And I had compared it to, um, when I read fathered by God by John Eldridge. And it's like, sure. you know, every person struggles in some way or form of, um, if you've had that dynamic with the fatherly figure, but God gives you all you need. Like God is that figure in that sense, but it's hard for me sometimes to be like, Oh, okay, great. Like that makes sense. Like how do you continually fill yourself up from God to be that authentic self versus trying to find a God or a father like figure on earth to consistently affirm you the same way God can. Yeah. And to, and to make you into a man you need to be right. Um, but Jesus had that from his, that like you're saying that, flow from his father yep. to then turn around um and do that for other people yeah 100 percent. yeah and so it, and like jesus will talk about how he lives from the father so for instance in john chapter 4 this is my favorite scene from this in john 4 the uh, the apostles come to jesus and they offer him food and he says i have food of which you do not know and it, Jesus must have been so annoying sometimes to the apostles. <laughs> They're just like, hey, man, got you a fish sandwich. That's right. You hungry? He's like, I have food of which you do not know. We're like, really? You pulling that crap again? Really? <laughs> like, Come on, man. I, you know how hard this was to fish to find this thing and I just made it for yeah. you? Yeah. And he said, but then he goes on and he says, uh, my food is to do the will of my father. Yep. Uh, 
but Jesus, he lives, he lives from the father. But anyway, let's get back to, to yes. grace. So the, the big point I think that Barclay makes is so different authors, they assume that all these things either have to go together. And so they'll say, well, you know, if it's, if the, if a gift that God gives of grace, if it's not non-circular, then it's not grace. And what that would mean is that grace has to be something that is totally a gift that you don't have to have that reciprocity. Yep. And what Barclay shows is that certain authors in history have thought that, but lots of others have not. And they have no problem speaking about grace as something that is circular, that when I receive a gift from God, it demands something from me in return. And so to cut to the, the thick of it, what Barclay finds when he treats all of this is that, uh, and there's a lot, I mean, this is a 600 page book. So there's a lot more in there than this, but, but it's really cool. The, basically what he shows is that in at least Romans and Galatians, what St. Paul really, when he talks about grace, he believes that grace is his big thing is it's incongruous, right? Just like the brownie. Yep. So, so God, and, and I just, for all those of you out there listening and for Patrick and I too, I just love this. This is great news. Is it God? God doesn't measure you and, and say, I'm only going to give my grace if they measure up to this measure. Based on merit. Like yeah. best performer. Yeah. He okay. just, he just okay. freely pours out his grace on the good, on the wicked, on the talented, on the, the non-talented, on the rich, on the poor. There's no, there's no marker that God says, well, I'll give, I'll give grace to those people because they've earned it. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that is totally square with Catholic theology. But he says, so, so the gift is not based on anything in you. God gives it freely. And, and the gift really is you have this Holy Spirit, but uh, it's really the, the gift that God gave in handing his son over to death and, and raising him to life for you. God does that for everyone. He didn't say, hey, you know what? Um, those guys, they stopped eating marijuana brownies. So I'm going to have my son's death apply to them but not to those guys. Yep. Paul says, nope, this goes to everyone. But we, here's where, here's where the Catholic piece comes in though. And this is that first part's Catholic as well, but where a lot of Christians then goes, they say, and it doesn't, it's non-circular. It doesn't demand anything in return. And they, and they would say that that means it's free. Yep. And Barclay just shows, shows that's not what Paul says. Paul is actually very emphatic that one that the gift is given on no conditions, but once it is given, that there there is a very strong conditioning kind of factor that says now you got the gift now you are demanded to live differently, and that's why. So it's always confusing to people that it seems like Paul in Romans will talk a lot about how God's grace is free. He doesn't use that language. But it seems like this Protestant kind of thing of like grace is free. There's nothing you can do to earn it, which is true. But then in Romans 2, Paul says you're going to be judged by your works. And people don't know what to do with that. Luther didn't know what to do with that. People could come up with complex systems of how to deal with Romans 2 and how to write it off. Yep. But what Barclay shows is that if you look at all kinds of authors in the ancient world, 
you know, this, this incongruent gift doesn't necessarily have to mean it's non-circular. And he shows lots of examples of this in Romans itself and in Galatians, but the gift is free. God, God can, it was free in the sense that God didn't look at you and say, man, you know what, Patrick, you really, you've changed your ways. So I'm going to give you a gift. Mm-hmm. It's not that way. But once he's poured out his grace into your life, that gift obliges you to live a different sort of life. So when you say grace into your life, like at first I'm thinking of this as right. It applies. The change happens right when Jesus is crucified. Sure. Okay. But when you say, so then that leads to the question of what if somebody doesn't know Jesus now? Yep. Are they expected still though, that they'll be judged or is it a matter of yes, the, uh, framework was given at the time of the crucifixion, but it, it applies when it, when God comes into your life. So now that I'm confirmed and I understand kind of this world of Christianity that now it kind of applies. Yeah. I mean, that's a a little bit tricky. Paul's going to talk a lot about baptism as critical for this. Okay. Uh, So in Romans chapter six is all about baptism and Paul's going to go from there and move forward and talk about how then that's supposed to change our life in chapter seven and the the battle that kind of happens there. But the, but he talks about this in Romans two as well. And so in Romans two, Paul's going to say, you know, that everyone will be judged according to works. Everyone. So I sounded like that was how uh, John O'Brien used to imitate Trump. He would always say he would do the Trump repeats himself, whatever he says, like everyone will be judged by works. Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, Paul, what he says in Romans two is that everyone has the gift of God in the sense of the law. And he doesn't mean the Jewish law of circumcision, right? But the Jewish law in terms of the 10 commandments, okay. That that law has been written on your heart. Yep. And that's a gift of God. That is a gift. And so no human being is going to go before God and say, wait a second, I wasn't supposed to kill anybody. (laughs) I didn't know. How was I supposed to know? Man, I'm not a Christian. Yeah. Right. And no one's going to go before God and say, even like the the first three commandments, which all pertain to God. um, But the first commandment, you know, to have no strange gods before the one true God, even in a um, kind of generalized sense, I don't think, I think everybody knows you're not supposed to live a life for yourself. And on the final judgment day, when, you know, God will reveal to all of us, and I'm sure I'll be guilty of this. I hope not, but that I've lived for other things. I've had other gods before the living God. We all kind of have at least a general sense of, I'm supposed to serve something greater than myself. Yep. And greater than the gods of this world, power, pleasure, and money. So, so I think there's something like that. Okay. That that that's, that's kind of how it works is that God's grace is, is in a sense present in different places in the world. It becomes explicit in baptism. And that's a little tricky. Uh, okay. Go on. I have a question with that, but keep going. I don't have anything else. Well, when you talk about, uh, the baptism piece, so baptism baptism. baptism is the moment. And so, so Paul is going to talk about how in a lot of places in the new Testament, Colossians two and three is kind of my favorite place for this. 
But Romans chapter six does the same thing is that baptism is a symbol of death. So in Romans six, St. Paul says, uh, do you not know brothers and sisters that those of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And the point is, right, is that at baptism, that gift was given freely. Okay. Right, in the sense that God didn't say, well, that's a cuter baby than that baby. <laughs> so you're a go, but you're not. You yeah. know, he didn't do that. He gives it to everybody. But baptism, what he'll say is that then that the baptism means your old life died in the waters. Meaning my sinful self. Okay. Yep. So Romans in 6 and Colossians 2 and 3 are very strong on this that it's going to now, now that you've been baptized, that old life where you live for yourself and you lived for these other things, that died. It, it, everything has to change now and you've got to live for God. Got it. And I think, you know, I think with, with a lot of these things, it's really, it really is an amazing thing I think Catholics sometimes get wrong. And if you're listening, maybe this is maybe a little preachy, but that's, I'm a preacher. That's right. I'm a preacher, man. I think it's so important for Catholics to realize that you are loved, not because you have great moral life, not because you, um, I don't know, that you memorized certain Bible passages or you gave to a poor person. God, God's super abundant and incongruous gift is that he loves you irrespective of any of that. He loves you no matter what. Now, his love should compel us to live differently, but what great news that is. Yeah. I think so many, so many of us, and I'm guilty of this too. So many of us think oh, I had a bad week this week. I was lustful this week. I was prideful. I was, uh, I shopped too much. I was too materialistic. God must be in heaven shaking his head at me. And the, the, the truth is, is that, you know, God does want us to live righteous lives. Of course he does, but he, his grace and his gifts are not contingent on that but they do oblige us after they're given. And so God can, God still loves you. Yeah. And he doesn't love you because you have a great track record. He, he loves you because he is good and he is good to everyone, irrespective of the worst criminal or the, the greatest saint. He loves everyone. And that's just, I love that. I think that's one of the practical things coming out of this book. Uh, it's just that reminder. Totally. Do you think, um, uh, <laughs> rookie question here, B- but as you're talking about this before, I was going to say before, uh, Jesus was crucified, but before the 10 commandments, um, that purgatory existed. The, I mean, okay, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, like before the framework was given, mm-hmm. could you have a purgatory then? Um, now it would make sense afterwards like okay right patrick you knew better and you know obviously we don't know a ton about it but um just the concept in general i kind of think to myself like okay now i know better obviously you have those written on your heart at the time and and maybe before the ten commandments but um now there is certain things of like you know okay i just can't shake my pridefulness and i continue to go back to that and if that kind of sets you back in the the journey, um, but would it have existed before that was given? I would say no, and that that's I, I really would be strong about that. So, no one can go to heaven 
in the full sense. And it's a little tricky because until uh, the second coming, right? Until no, until the resurrection and ascension. Okay. Uh, but, um, the second coming is when the bodies, the bodies, will okay. be reunited with souls. Got it. Okay. So, but it's, and so heaven in the sense is not a place cause your soul is not physical. Heaven is a state. So it's, it's a state where my soul is in union with God. Got it. Uh, but yeah, purgatory is not possible until the coming of Christ. And what the, what the Jews have, they just, they call it Sheol and Sheol just means the place of the dead. Okay. And the reason for this is that we're all over the board today, but it's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, heaven and hell and purgatory, all three of them, they're all Christological realities. And what I mean by that is that none of the three are possible for humans until Jesus dies, rises from the dead, ascends to heaven, pours out the spirit. And and here's why. Hell is the is the final rejection and separation from God. Uh, and you have hell in a sense, right? You do have hell private, previously. Jesus talks about hell being the place reserved for the devil and his angels. So there is a reality there, but not in a human respect. Okay. And the reason we say this is that uh, God had not fully revealed himself, and so you couldn't fully reject God Okay. until the coming of Christ. And so First Peter talks about how Jesus, after he, he dies, he says he went to the spirits in prison and preached to them. And so really, like, you know, you th- this is a question a lot of people have out there is how can God condemn me if I just didn't know any better? Right. Right. Yeah, totally. And so that's, I think that's a really good point. And only God, God is the judge. Only he, he can finally answer all these questions, but hell is a, is really a Christological reality. And so with the re- with, with the coming of Jesus, uh, both on earth, but then to the souls that went beforehand, judgment really can only happen then got it heaven can only be open then and then purgatory is defined really right purgatory is a state of purification on the way to heaven yep and so heaven hasn't been opened yet until the resurrection of christ and so you can't really be on your way to heaven if heaven hasn't been opened yet got it yeah because it's always a question what you had said right there of you know if somebody was born into a community that never introduces um, Christ at all. Yeah. Right. So then how is that? But yet you're living in this world post Jesus. Yep. How can you even begin to understand that they can't go to heaven? Right. Doesn't seem fair. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and so God is fair. And, uh, and so it's something like that. That's deep though. It is. I think you've said that too with like someone like Gandhi, right? Like who lived and walked life a certain way. Right. But was in a, I mean, I mean, I don't know if I want to come down this, but (laughs) can you say that he quote unquote would go to hell because he wasn't Christian? Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about this, you know, in our CIA. Yeah. Is that, uh, the church, one of the things I love, the church has the, the list of saints in heaven, there's no corresponding list of those in hell, which I love. 
Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. We don't have we don't have a canonized list of of villains. Here's who right? to live like. Here is for sure who not to live like. Yeah. So we don't know with Gandhi. And I think so but what a Christian can say, a Catholic can say it's possible. Okay. We have to be there's there's tensions on this, but basically, yes, it's possible. Uh if Gandhi goes to heaven though through Jesus Christ, right? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what you have to be careful of is that uh, people don't go to heaven because, and it relates to this grace question. Yep. They, they, they don't earn salvation. Got it. So, you can, so a lot of people, they say, well, Gandhi was a great guy, so doesn't he deserve to go to heaven? The answer is no. None of us deserves salvation. It's a free gift of God. But if Gandhi's, but also the other extreme, you can end up in a place where God's just arbitrary. And this is the Calvinist, kind of the, the critique of Calvinism, is that God, before the world began, just decided who was going to heaven and who was going to hell. There's nothing you can do about it. Got it. And you end up with an arbitrary God who sends people to, to an eternal hell for nothing they've done. It's just something he chose it arbitrarily. Yeah. And that, that, to me, I just don't know how anyone can believe that. But, so- so in your example there, in that Gandhi scenario, mm-hmm. lived a certain way, checked all the right boxes, yep. wasn't Christian, and at some point, yep. post life on Earth, he has, um, let's say, has an opportunity to hear Jesus preach, and at that mm-hmm. point, he either accepts. It could be something like that, or it could be. It could also be. So in Romans two, right? Paul Paul talked about how the Gentiles, non-Jews, yeah. that they could be justified uh, based on the law being on their heart and their obedience to the law. And so I think that's, the, the point would be this, no one gets to heaven apart from Christ. And Gandhi, it looks like he denied Christ in his lifetime. That's what it looks like. But Christians were persecuting his people. Did he have a real clear understanding of who Jesus really was? Right. Gandhi famously said, um, I would, I would consider believing in the redeemer if Christians behaved more like they were redeemed. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a, there's a question there. And so anyway, the, but if, but if Gandhi goes to heaven, it's, it's because of what Jesus did, whether or not he knew it in his life, he would know it up after death. Right. But if he went to heaven, it would be because of Jesus, but there, but there could be an argument made that Gandhi actually did choose God the one true living God, Jesus himself and the, the Holy Trinity in as much as he chose to obey the truth. And so St. Justin Martyr will talk about this in the second century. He talks about the seeds of the word, the God scattered seeds of truth everywhere. And so when people, when people obey the truth, they're actually obeying God. Even if they don't know his name, even if they don't recognize him as the one who's on the cross, um, so that's a deeper topic. Yeah. I could talk about it a long time, but you know, I always feel, uh, <laughs> I don't know how we got here, but I always like think to myself, man, don't be Pontius Pilate. And I say that like he gets banged on every mass. And I think of that, like he, you look back and you're like, would never be Pontius. Right. But how often in life are you like, if you're honest and you look at it, you're like, man, I, I would hope I didn't get swayed that way. Yeah. He's a complex figure. Yeah. You know? But who knows what happened with it? I mean, yeah. And he's, 
it looks like he's he's trying to avo- he's trying to avoid a, a riot and right. an insurrection. Uh, he he also wants to free Jesus, right? And right. The gospel is like he's like you know John's gospel, for instance, John eighteen, I think it is. He wants to free Jesus. He's like, hey, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? And it says he knew that the priest had handed Jesus over out of envy. And so he's like, he's he's like, what he's doing there is he's going to the crowd and saying, hey. These guys are a bunch of schmucks. Yeah. They're handing this guy over for no reason to me. You know, Please you want me to free Jesus? This. Yeah. But this, the the priests and the Pharisees and the scribes go into the crowd and they stir him up to not release Jesus, to release Barabbas instead. I mean, to make a correlation and totally slap me down if I'm wrong, but today Supreme Court's looking at, you know, yep. Roe versus Wade. You have that tension. If you're a Supreme oh, yeah. Court justice, right? Sure. Like you want to, you may or may not, uh, you would think that nobody in their right mind would support abortion if they really understand right. all of it. But they also know in the society we for sure live in today, talk about an uproar of a crowd. Yep. There could be repercussions that you could be so afraid of that you won't sure. do the right thing. For sure. All of us are, you know, and that's part of virtue, part of courage. Courage means like, right, like um, the willingness to suffer for what is good. And so you hope I, when we do pray for the Supreme Court justices today to overturn Roe versus Wade. But, you know, a, a virtue is like, I'm going to do the right thing, even though it's going to hurt. That's right. And they, that's what they should do. But yeah, but all of us, we're weak human beings and we're subject to weakness and to the influence of these kinds of things. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What's the next book on the docket? (laughs) Probably N.T. Wright's Commentary on Galatians, which Patrick got me. So I'm excited about that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that was when I'd ask you, what, what, uh, I'd be very specific on what book to get you for your birthday. (laughs) I've got a lot of books. Yeah. I think we should mix it up though. Last time you did the hurry book. Now I should give you like a super, I always think that I've said that before though, but, uh, how a lot of like the, the, top books on the New York times bestseller about, you know, self-help, any of that kind of stuff. Yep. I would love at some point to do something where you can like analyze it and break it down of like, yep, Paul said this and Paul too, but now they just repurpose it, remove God. And it's like this divine work of man, you know, it it really means a lot to not make life about myself. That is a key to life, you know, but like they just, somehow thought of that it's very interesting yeah i'd love to give you one of those books i'm sure you would that's right all right folks well thanks for tuning in today we hope that your um days are going great we hope that you're uh, having a great advent and we're praying that by the time this comes out that uh roe versus wade will have been overturned that's right that could be a great topic either way yeah we wanted to kind of dive into it today but it was by the time this comes out, clearly there will be... There'll be a decision. That's right. Be, yeah. So. so we'll be behind the ball, but uh, for now. So hopefully, maybe we talk about that next time. Yep. God bless everybody. Have a great time. Rant at lordsdenver.org. Uh, Email us questions. Um, all the above. We appreciate it. Share us with your friends. Yep. Peace.